Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Dark and Deadly. We are your hosts. I'm Haley. And I'm Gina. And hopefully our sound quality is a little bit better because I got a new mic and then we tried to tried to match our settings a little bit so that hopefully Gina sometimes doesn't cut out because sometimes she cut out and it sucked. So here's the hoping. I don't, I don't know how to fix that on my side. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I don't, I don't either. So hopefully the settings that we have on now will help do that. And yes. then here's to hoping also that our intro music doesn't vanish this time because I listened to the podcast all the way through when I edit it and the intro music was there. And then usually I'll listen to it a second time on our hosting platform before I actually submit it. And I didn't this time because we were rushing to get the episode out because it was already super late. And there was like 45 seconds of pure silence. So I'm sorry about that. So Brian Laundrie. Yeah. They discovered his, so it's him. We don't know how much of him they found. I don't think that's been released yet or what the condition of whatever it is they found. But they obviously have teeth because yeah. they compared dental records. So did his parents find him, the body? I, or was it investigators when they reported his stuff? I don't know. And I, I, um, I think it was a TikTok video where someone said that maybe his mom like went out there and threw his baby teeth that she had been saving, but they would have, but I feel like they could tell baby teeth from adult teeth. I know, but I just find it so weird that their autopsy, like not the autopsy, but like identifying his body took like an astronomically small amount of time. Well, it depends what they it depends what it is. Cause all it said was that they can confirm that the partial remains. I don't think that they said that he's dead. Did they? They I just know. confirmed it was his partial remains. What did they find? Cause that would answer everything. If it's a head, then okay. Right. I don't think he's getting another one of those anywhere, but if it's some teeth, you just pull them out. I don't know. <laughs> if it's I don't know. Teeth in a, a toe that's something just, that you can pull out and cut off right they're just being really weird about it i'm gonna look up if there's been anything today either way i feel i feel really bad for gabby's family i feel bad for i just they're they're never gonna know what happened to her like right. they have a rough idea they have a general idea who knows what the notebook says? Cause apparently there was the notebook found. So maybe that's everything that happened and we'll have all of the answers according to what he said, but like, they're never going to know. I mean, the exact date, I don't think is known that she was killed. I think we still just have a rough estimate, right? They're not going to know, like, was there a fight leading up to this? What? <sighs> I don't know. I mean, there had to have been right. Cause I mean, I don't know. You just don't. I, I, strangling is like so personal and so angry it's personal and you I mean like it doesn't take five seconds to strangle someone you have to be I mean and I'm not Brian's not a big guy like he was taller than her but he's not a big guy I imagine she fought back pretty hard I would imagine she did 
unless he, I mean, drugged her, got her drunk. Yeah. True. Incapacitated her, hit her over the head. Do we, I mean, cause we have cause of death, but we don't know any of her other injuries. Yeah. They didn't really say anything like a Could have hit her over the head, or- but the thing that, or just even like what happened to her body, because she could have gotten hit over the head, knocked her unconscious, and then he did it. That's true. Yeah. I don't know. Either way, it's, I don't want to say I'm happy he's dead. Um, I'm happy that the family has some answers, some, mm-hmm. like as to where he is. And it's not just like this mystery that he's just out there somewhere. If right. I mean, if that is his like full body, I still think that it was an alligator that got him. I think that's a pretty good possibility or at least got his remains at a minimum because that's the only thing that really makes sense because under normal circumstances his body if it was skeletal remains it would not be that decomposed yet and so even with the elements even if there was no animals involved he would still be semi-human you know so I think Mm -hmm. I think it was definitely an alligator that contributed a lot to his, his remains. Yeah. I don't think that an alligator killed him. I think he probably killed him. If any, like in my head, this is how it works. He killed himself, had written out this little suicide note, killed himself, an alligator. I mean, cause they're in a nature reserve, got the body dragged yeah. it into the water did what it does where it hides it at the bottom of the water to just munch off of. And that's, that's kind of where we're at. And then the water receded enough where the gator's little snack, um, came above. I'm surprised his parents knew exactly where he was. I think that they had an idea of where they last saw him. Yeah. Or had an idea of where he last was when they last had contact. Because I'm sure that they both had, um, whatchamacallit, phones. Um, not satellite phones. Why can't I think of the burners? Gosh. Right. I'm sure if he had a burner phone, if he went to the links to get a burner phone, I'm sure his parents had a burner phone that they got rid of once the FBI came into their house. Yeah. Oh, it's just a crazy, a crazy case, honestly. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, yeah. You wish that she would have been separated from him when they got pulled over, and you wish that she would have left him. And uh, I don't know. So I am going to be covering the case of the third installment of the conjuring series which is the devil made me do it and that movie yes. was based on a true story so i'm going to be talking about the true story of the movie okay perfect so exciting so that is the case of arnie cheyenne johnson i've actually heard his name pronounced arn and arnie it's spelt a-r-n-e but i think it's arnie I'm trying to remember how the movie says it and I'm Lincoln. I'm pretty sure it's Arnie. So I'm going to say Arnie. Let's go with Arnie. Yeah. 
So he claimed that he was demonically possessed when he murdered his landlord, Alan Bono, in February 1981 in Brookfield, Connecticut. He was the first ever person to claim a defense of being possessed during his trial in the United States. There's like two cases of people trying to do that in England and neither of those worked. So everybody it's a pretty hard defense to mount I though I feel like it's I feel like it's a hard defense to mount it really is because scientifically you can't really prove it you know no so everybody who knew Arnie was like completely shocked that it what that he did it so it was not in his character at all to be violent or the type of person to murder somebody so that's kind of also where this you know, scapegoat of a, of a defense came in and we'll get more into that later, but let's backtrack a little bit to before the trial in 1980. And I'm going to introduce you to the Glatzel family. So the Glatzel family consisted of father, Carl, mother, Judy, Debbie, Carl Jr., (laughs) which is an unfortunate (laughs) name. Alan and David, and we're going to mainly focus on Debbie and David for the majority of this story. Carl Jr. will come in a little bit later. Alan, I don't even know if he actually existed because nobody really talks about him. At the time, David was 11 years old and Debbie was 26 years old, which is a huge age gap. But like I said, Mm -hmm. they're the siblings that are most affected by this case. David was a super normal kid and he was known to be like a very calm and level-headed child. He was very, very, very sweet. Him and his mother were super close and Debbie was moved out. She was working as a dog groomer and living with the Johnson family. And the Johnson family consisted of Mary, the mother who was single-handedly raising her children and a niece. And one of those children was Arnie Johnson and Arnie at the time was 18 years old. Arnie and Arnie and Debbie, despite their age differences were in love and engaged. So 26 and 18. Ooh. Okay. I mean, it's the eighties, but still, I know, but like, that's kind of disturbing, right? Especially because She was Arnie's babysitter when he was a kid. So. Oh, God. That's weird. Debbie met Mary, Arnie's mom, when Arnie was like 12 years old, just like ran into her in the supermarket and they hit it off, became friends. And Debbie would go over there and hang out with all the kids and help Mary out. And Arnie recalls that when he first met Debbie, He was 12 years old, right? He fell in love with her Mm -hmm. at 12 years old. Which means Debbie was a 20 at the time because there's an eight-year difference. So a 12-year-old in love with a 20-year-old. And when Arnie was only 16 years old, he asked Debbie out on a date and she said yes. And soon after they fell in love with each other and the rest is history. I don't know. It's just yucky to me. Wait, he was, he was, he he was was 16 and she would have been 24. Yep. What? Right. 
That's gross. Like there's some grooming there, you know? That's gross. Yeah. What's what was the age difference between that teacher and the student where she married him? I don't know. Do you know what I'm talking about? They may have had a more severe, but still he was in, I mean, he was a child. <laughs> she knew yeah. him as a child. Right. Exactly. Weird. I mean, 12 years old. I don't even think like boys are just starting to get deeper voices at that age. Right. Go through puberty. Yeah. Yeah. That's gross. I don't know. It is. But anyway, I, I find it gross too. Fast forward to only two years later when they're 18 and 26, <laughs> they're engaged and in love. <laughs> So they start looking at houses to move into, and they were actually able to find a house in July of 1980 that was absolutely perfect. Now, Arnie's mom had fallen ill with, I think it was colon cancer, and she was having a really hard time taking care of the kids on her own. Like I said, she had Arnie, and then I think she had two other daughters and a niece living with her, and she was a single mom. So. Yeah. So the plan was to invite Mary and the three other girls to move with Debbie and Arnie. And when they found this rental, it was as if it was meant to be had enough space for all of them to live, including a main house and then a mother-in-law's quarters where Debbie and Arnie agreed to stay leaving the main house to Mary and the other children. Now the previous tenants was in the mom home. Okay. With this relationship. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, she they were was. all really close. That's weird. Right. I'd be like, um, ma'am, no, like you're going to have to like, not <laughs> well, at least wait until he's out of the house at minimum. Right. Well, it's like at 16, if my son came up to me, if Hunter came up to me and was like, Hey, I think I'm going to ask this 24 year old on a date. I'd be like, no, you're not. <laughs> You are actually now <laughs> grounded until your 18th birthday. How does that sound? So good job, kid. You're yeah. never leaving the house. Thanks. Bye. Maybe it was different in the eighties, but like, no, that's no, no, nope. I feel like it shouldn't have been different in the eighties. So that's, that's an eight year different age difference. Yeah. That's too at much. the wrong ages. Yeah. Age, di- age differences are fine when they're not including minors. Yes. Anyway, the previous tenants in the home had left some things behind and the house was kind of in disarray and nobody really knows why the family before them had left, but before moving in, they had to go in and like clean up the house to get it ready to move in. The Glatzels decided to also help do the cleanup with the Johnson family. So 11 year old David went over the house also to help his sister and Arnie clean up this house, get rid of things, make it so that it was ready for them to move in. And one of the things that the previous people had left behind was a waterbed. And they were all kind of taking turns, like laying on this waterbed because it was fun. I mean, I used to have a waterbed and until I watched Nightmare on Elm Street, I thought it was freaking cool. And then after that, not so cool. So it didn't, did it never make you like seasick motion no. sickness? No, no. I feel like I was so sick on it. I would feel ill. I don't remember ever feeling sick, but which is weird because I get like, I can't even swing, swing. without, no, I can't either without getting, getting motion, sick. motion sickness. Yes. Yeah. It's terrible. It's a real thing. 
all my friends, you, like when we went to the fair and stuff, wanted to ride in like the teacups and everything. I'm like, I'm, this is going to, we're going to be like on the sand lot. I'll be throwing up everywhere. It's not going to happen. I refuse to go on that stuff. I'm like, no, I'm going to get sick. I'm good. Yeah. I know. So, I know the feeling. I don't need to replicate it. Thank you. So what you're saying is me and you should be fair buddies. Cause we'll just go around and eat fair food and look at the animals. I refuse to go on any of the fair rides because they put them up and take them down too quickly for my liking. No, I'm good. I know they're pretty scary. Disney is a yes. Fair rides are a no. Yeah. Even some of those rides are sketchy. Disney. I mean, any theme park, anything could go wrong. Oh, okay. Fun sucker. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I used My to not be super boring. <laughs> and then you became a mom. And then I became a mom, and now I'm old now and boring. You see danger everywhere. Yeah. Hey, not old. Thank you. I'm gonna be 30 in two years. Same. So we're not old. Stop that. Okay. Anyway, all of them are taking turns right in this waterbed except for David, because he didn't want to, like it freaked him out for some reason. He didn't want to get on the bed. And later that day, they witnessed David fall back into this bed, which they were like, what the heck? Like you said, you didn't want to get on the bed. Like why all of a sudden are you wanting to get on there? But it wasn't like a normal falling into the bed. It looked like he was shoved. And so when David stood back up, his family like noticed that he was absolutely petrified. And what he told them shocked them to their core. He told them that an old man had pushed him onto the bed and he explained to them that he was wearing a torn plaid shirt and his skin looked really odd. And the man told David, "Beware." and after that, David was so shaken up. He didn't really help with cleaning anymore, which in turn kind of made his family believe that he just told them that story in order to get out of helping them, which I can see an 11 year old doing. I might do that at this age. So later that night, he claimed that he saw the man a second time and then a third and a fourth. And he kept seeing this man who continued to threaten and harass him every single time he went over to that house. So David knew it was the same exact man, but his appearance would sometimes change. So sometimes he would have animal-like features, like horns. Other times he looked like burnt and sometimes he had hooved feet and sharp teeth. So he's the devil. Yeah. I mean, which honestly, if I saw that at my age, I'd probably commit myself somewhere. I mean, imagine being 11 years old and seeing that. Right. But isn't that what like stereotypically Satan looks like? It's supposed to look like he has horns and hooved feet. Yep. So he, he saw the devil is what we're saying here. Okay. Another thing, side note, I'll kind of get into it in a second. Um, I'll, okay. I'll talk to that. I'll, I'll, I'll say it in a second because I'm confused on something, but we'll talk about it in a second. <laughs> okay. Okay. So then more things started happening around the home of the Glatzel family. So not only was it happening at the rental property, but David brought something home with him. And what started happening in the home is what we refer to as poltergeist activity. 
So this includes like clothes being thrown out of drawers, pans and dishes flying, you know, like chairs moving, strange noises, that kind of stuff. And they witnessed David even being tossed around with what they called invisible hands is how they described it. Like he would be tossed around so hard that it would leave marks on his body. So the family is saying this. Yes. The Glatzel family is saying they, they personally witnessed him being tossed around by something that wasn't there. Is it like, is an exorcism being performed? <laughs> it um, kind of will also get into that. Okay. And it's coming up right now. So at this point, the family had seen enough. So they reached out to the local Catholic church for counsel. And when the church came to the house, they realized that the activity that was happening in the home, like wouldn't be resolved with just like a simple blessing of the house. And that's when they called in the big guns, Ed and Lorraine Warren, because they were super famous at this time. And if anybody doesn't know who they are, they're a famous demonologist and psychic medium. So Ed and Lorraine Warren came out very quickly and without even entering the home, Lorraine said that she could tell something was very off for whatever reason, like in Connecticut at this time, it was a lot hotter than normal. And I don't know why this is important. I don't know. She just, she brought it up in an interview that she was saying that it was like really hot and like wetter than usual outside. So humid, humid, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, I don't know. She brought, they brought like another person with them to help with like their equipment, you know, to, to do the record evidence and stuff, you know? Right. And both Ed and that guy tripped on the porch, according to Lorraine. I don't also know. They could just be like clumsy. I don't know. Tripped? I guess that's a good point. I don't know. She brought it up like she didn't say that they were like tripped, but she, anyway, she thought it was just a weird night. Like she could tell that something was very off. Mm -hmm. is kind of what she was getting at before they even walked into the house. So when they get inside the home, they witnessed the varying things that were happening to David and Lorraine could sense there were multiple presences in the home. She said that there were 43 demons and two devils. And that's why I'm confused. Is there more than one devil? Um, I feel like no. Okay. I mean, biblically, biblically, it's, it's one Lucifer. Right. Um, let me just Google real quick. Is there more than one devil? I I swear I'm going to be put on a list for some of the stuff I Google for this podcast. Same. (laughs) At least we have like evidence that we're not like actual psychopaths. (laughs) There was a podcast. It's a podcast and we're talking about the things we're Googling. So it's fine. Um, okay. That depends on the theological viewpoint of the individual. Most Christians believe that Satan is the overseer of hell. Um, demon laterists. Don't know what that is. Don't think I said that correctly. Believe that each demon is the God in itself and each fits into a ranked pantheon 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 hierarchy oh lord damn they got a whole mlm in hell apparently so (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, this is like a whole thing, but I'm also on answers.com. So interesting. Well, that's what Lorraine said is that there were 43 demons and two devils. So I don't know. Right. Soon after arriving, they decided that an exorcism would definitely need to take place. And soon. So they took David to the church basement to perform not like a full on exorcism, but like a lesser exorcism <laughs> because they're, I mean, they had to have some sort of loophole because a bishop has to approve an exorcism after performing different tests to make sure that what is happening is not caused by mental illness. So in order I mean, to do that a makes full, sense. yeah. And I mean, it, it's a smart thing to do, you know? So at that time, a bishop had not approved a full-on exorcism of David. And in the meantime, they performed these like half exorcisms and nothing was working. And two priests that were helping perform these even went to the bishop and begged him to, per- to approve an exorcism. But still, they continued to do these lesser ones. And one of the people who attended these was Arnie Johnson, Debbie's fiance. And... Arnie had been helping David as much as he could during this terrible and terrifying time. David would go through these like night terrors at night so bad that he had to have around the clock people with him. And Arnie was one of those people. Like he would have multiple night terrors and lucid dreams a night. And so someone had to be there to like wake him up safely so that he could go back to sleep. And Arnie was one of these people who had been there this whole time trying to help out this family. And so they were pretty close. And David, during these half exorcisms, was apparently speaking in different voices. He was like spitting and levitating and even predicted a murder during these. And I think, I think they're called deliverances when it's not like a full-blown exorcism. Uh, I think that's correct. Okay. So anyway, anyway, during these deliverances, he was not David and they just weren't working. So during one of these, Arnie made a huge mistake and he told the demon to take him instead and leave David alone. At one point, Arnie and Debbie were back at their house. And for whatever reason, they're staring out the window and Arnie says, there he is. There is the demon and he's coming for us. After saying uh, this, right? I'd be like, okay, bye. <laughs> yeah. And she says that after this, his entire demeanor changed. His face went cold. And according to Debbie, he started to growl. And I think good I signs, good signs. Honestly, punch him in the face and run. But that's just me. <laughs> So up until the murder of Alan Bono, Debbie claims that her fiance was not himself and she believed that he was now possessed as well. And David was still struggling a little bit, but not quite as intense as they used to be. Arnie, on the other hand, would have like very random outbursts, such as screaming in church that he needed to leave, waking up in the middle of the night and just screaming. And then before the murder happens, Debbie remembers hearing two separate voices coming out of Arnie's mouth. Yeah, that's a big no. Freaks me out for some reason. 
And at the advice of Ed and Lorraine Warren, Arnie and Debbie decided to no longer move into the home where everything had started, which is probably a safe plan. Instead, they moved into an apartment above Alan Bono's boarding kennel, which this is also reflected in the movie. Yes, I remember that. So now Alan wasn't the best caretaker of this kennel. And so he decided to hire Debbie for help. So she would help feed, water, walk, clean up after the little doggies. And Arnie also helped out in the kennels while he was also working as a landscaper. So his full-time job was a landscaper, but he would occasionally help Debbie and Alan out. And the three of them actually got along like super well. They had become friends with each other. They shared a lot of interests. And for the most part, things were running really smoothly despite these weird, unrecognizable outbursts from Arnie that would happen occasionally. And on February 16th, 1981, Arnie called into sick, called in sick to work. And he would do this occasionally in order to spend time with Debbie and Alan and help out around the kennel. This is kind of Mm -hmm. a pretty normal morning for them, actually. And Alan took them out to lunch. And I think that he, it was the three of them. And I think two, I think one of the nieces or the niece and one of Arnie's little sisters was there also. I'm not sure if it was both sisters or a sister and a niece or whatever, but two of his siblings and family members was, were with them. And at lunch, Alan got a little tipsy and was acting, you know, a little drunk after leaving the restaurant. And when they got back to the kennel, Alan was still acting super drunk, kind of being belligerent. So Debbie actually left leaving Arnie and Alan alone. And after she left with the two other girls, she got a weird feeling and decided to turn around and go back to the house. When she arrived, Alan was still continuing to drink and getting more and more rambunctious and more and more drunk. And he was like turning the TV up super loud and turning the music up super loud and then punching his fists into like his other hand. So he had a balled up fist and was just like hitting his other hand with it. And he was just starting to make everybody really uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. so they decided to leave because everybody was just kind of weirded out by his behavior. So Arnie went out to the car and Debbie was trying to leave with the girls. And Alan actually grabbed one of the girl's arms and like, wouldn't let go. And Debbie's sitting there trying to convince him, just, just let her go before anyone realizes it. Arnie was back in the room and he absolutely snapped. He pulled out a pocket knife and he stabbed Alan four to five times. And I'm not talking about like regular stabs. He, I think literally had a, he like gutted him pretty much. He had, he stuck the pocket knife in, I think by his belly button and went all the way up to his neck. Oh my gosh. So that's different from the movie and sorry, spoilers for the movie, but that's not how it happened in the movie. If I'm remembering correctly. No, it was not. I can't remember how it happened, but that definitely wasn't how it was portrayed in yeah. the movie. But um, after this, Arnie just like casually walked into the woods covered in blood. <gasps> and so that is pretty similar to the movie plot line a little bit. And it's fuzzy on who called the police, but about an hour after the mur- murder had occurred, Arnie was located less than two miles away from the crime scene. 
and was arrested. And after he was arrested, Lorraine Warren actually went to the police station and told them it wasn't Arnie, that he was possessed by a demon who murdered Alan through Arnie. I am trying to like think of the poor officer's mindset if somebody came in and told me that. Be like, okay, you're crazy. Okay, I'm going to direct you to our nearest psych ward. Right. So, I mean, this is the 80s. It's not, this isn't like a widespread thing. I don't think at this point it's more, it's still pretty taboo, I think. Right. Well, and I mean, like this whole case becomes a total media frenzy because of it. Because they did, Mm -hmm. I mean, this is what their defense team decided to do. He pleaded not guilty by reason of demonic possession, which, like I said, had never been done in the United States. Yeah, that's going to cause a media storm. Yeah. And so Arnie's lawyer actually brought in, he went all the way to England and like talked to people who are very high up in like the Catholic church who deal with these type of like situations um, mm-hmm. Arnie's lawyer even brought in different priests trying to prove to like the jury and the judge that de- demonic possession was a real thing. And Ed and Lorraine yeah. Warren testified, brought in their evidence and their experiences. And they even brought up, you know, the situation with David and how Arnie would have ended up being possessed. Ultimately though, judge Callahan rejected the plea. And at this point mm-hmm. they're their best bet was to enter in a self-defense plea for Arnie. So on November 24th, he was sentenced to 10 to 20 years for the murder of Alan Bono. Jeez. And Arnie was released after only serving five years. Was he released for like good behavior or? Yes. Yep. Okay. And during this time uh, that he was in there, he did end up marrying Debbie. So shocker right so interestingly enough i mentioned the other siblings in the beginning one of them being carl jr <laughs> i can't even say <laughs> oh you i know just in go the by south, CJ. I don't think they're actually called right but i don't think that in the south they're called carl's juniors they're called something else because when i was in florida i was surprised that it wasn't carl's jr but it's like the same franchise same franchise same thing Oh, and it starts, it's something star or something. Oh, isn't that what they're like? I mean, they have items on the menu that are like that. Yeah. So, but it's something, I think it's something like that, but Carl's Jr. is not Carl's Jr. all throughout the country. It is something else like Freddy's in the South isn't Freddy's Fred Myers. It's Kroger. Right. And like Albertsons, I think in some States is still they haven't switched it back over. I think Albertsons is still, um, Safeway. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Idaho is the only one Idaho. And then I think there's like one Albertsons left in like California and a couple different random places, but we're the only ones that retained the Albertsons name. I think we have an Albertsons. What? Yeah. Oh shit. Look at Elko. Yeah, here we go. Elko. No, who? What? I don't. I live on a town outside of Elko. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So um okay. 
So Carl Jr. has stated time and time again that this entire story is false. And apparently it was all a ruse in order to get money. Carl claims that Ed and Lorraine promised the Glatzel family that they would get millions of dollars by selling this story. But instead it caused a lot of torment within their family. So they believe, well, he believes that David was suffering from a mental illness and that caused all this weird behavior, but they really like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like his, his behavior, he wasn't like levitating and like talking in tongues and stuff, but they over exaggerated these things that were happening to him in order to make it seem like he was possessed. Does that make sense? Mm, Yes, it does. Okay. So the family was super ridiculed for this and the kids really struggled growing up. I mean, Carl had to drop out of high school because it was just too much. David is trying to live like a quiet life after this because of the humiliation and just like the media at that time really dug into this family. Mm -hmm. And Carl is the only one who admits that it was all a lie. And he claims the rest of the family was just in it for the money at the expense of poor little David and David or Debbie still to this day will do interviews and absolutely swear up and down that he was possessed. Are David, um, David, are they still together? I think so. I've tried to look it up. And for the most part, this family has tried to get out keep of their this. name out. Yeah. yeah. Um, Carl did end up writing a book. I do not remember what the name of it was. Um, he tells his, his side of the story in this book, because there is a book written about this case titled the devil in Connecticut which the family mm-hmm. did profit from. There are direct quotes in the book from David's mother and father. So both Carl and David, like I said, have just been trying to move on with their lives, stay under this radar. And a lot of people believe that Ed and Lorraine Warren are con artists. And I've heard this many times. Many believe, many people believe that they used demonic possession as an excuse to have Arnie serve less time which could very well be. And then there were people on the flip side that believe this truly was the work of the devil. And at the end of the day, regardless, like it affected so many lives. And right. I, just, I just want to point out that nothing is ever talked about again that I could find about Arnie being possessed while in jail or while in prison. So I don't know, like I've tried to look it up and I mean, like, I don't know what happened. What, I mean, was he arrested and the demon just like jumped ship? Did they do a deliverance or an exorcism for Arnie in prison? Like, oh, so he was still possessed when he went in supposedly. Supposedly. I mean, there wasn't any information. Like why, if he was trying to plead guilty by reason of demonic possession, did it end at his Although, arrest? You know, honestly, why would a demon want to be with somebody that's in prison? Right. So then there's people on the, the, on the flip side that are saying like the, he's still possessed, but they, they wait until the perfect many years. Right. 
the perfect moment was the premiere of the movie. <laughs> right. But I mean, like if he was truly possessed, wouldn't you think that it would be a lot more believable in court in court if he was like picking up chairs and throwing them through walls or speaking in tongues? I don't know. Yeah, but at the same time, okay, so if we're going to go with this whole like he was actually possessed, I don't think that demons or whatever would possess a person are necessarily like trying to make a spectacle out of it. I think that they're trying to steal souls. They don't need to make it like, like, okay, so if we're going with like the biblical definition of like demons and devils and all of this. God doesn't act that way. So like trying to get people to believe in him. True. Am I even making sense? So why would the devil? Eh, yeah. That doesn't make because sense. I mean, well, cause I mean, I read that on there too, like, um, people believe that he could still like be possessed, like I said. And the reason why nothing happened in prison is because those aren't innocent people. Like, demons make it a point to turn to take to turn people into bad people and like turn against god so the people in prison aren't necessarily a good target i think if we're going with the devil thing demons jump ship once he's actually done the crime and have moved on right they're like meh okay we did our damage here we're gonna go (laughs) elsewhere my job here is done well, but I mean, every other thing they're trying to take the person's soul. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I don't know. It's just weird. So it is. You, I believe, I mean, obsessed? see, I am more inclined to believe in like the supernatural. I've had mm-hmm. things happen. So I'm more geared towards like, I can't rule it out. Right. I can't say like, nope, that didn't happen. A, I wasn't there. B, I think that stuff like that can happen. And C, I it would shock me of all of the things in today's world. I wouldn't be like, oh my gosh, a demon possession. I'd be like, eh, okay, that fits. Right. Yeah, I can see that too, because I they said that Arnie was like one of the most caring people they had ever met. Like he was very protective over his family and one of like one of those guys that would give you the shirt off his back. So it was very shocking that he would have done this. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't either. I could go either way on it. Um, It's a really nice little defense thing to be like, he was possessed guys. He was possessed. It wasn't his fault. Demon made him do it. Another Um, weird thing. Harm. Hmm. So I read somewhere that his defense, his like lawyer, I don't know how true this is, but they, I think that Alan Bono was cremated. So they weren't able to like really, um, look at his body to see this, to see the wounds, but he's saying Mm -hmm. that the wounds that were on his body did not match up with the wounds that were on his clothes. Like he had no, he had no blood on his clothes. Or no, like what n- he had, like no knife, like rips in the his defense clothes. was saying that. Yeah, like he brought the clothes to court, showing them, saying 
there is no knife marks in this shirt. And this is the shirt that Alan Bono was wearing when he freaking was, uh, you know, cut open from belly button to throat. That's weird that he wouldn't have the same cut marks on the shirts into the body, unless the kid like cut him with his shirt up. <laughs> Does that make like, do you know what I mean? Like they were, they were like in a, a scuffle and it yeah. like, rose up and then he cut him, but why wouldn't there be blood on it? Right. I don't, like, I see, and I don't know blood somewhere on the shirt. Right. And I don't know if that's like actually true, but I did read it somewhere and I thought it was important to mention that, I mean, his defense team really, really believed he was possessed. Well, you know, you want a team that's going to believe that you're psychotic. Yeah. If they're going that far to claim that. If we're going that way, we got to go for it. Yes. Well, yeah, that is my case on Arnie Johnson. I do love all of the Conjuring movies, though. Me too. And, oh, I was going to say, the um, I figured out what the sheet, the movie that I was talking about uh, mm-hmm. with the lady that uh, pulled up the sheets or whatever and the legs were under there. Oh, yeah. What she wasn't the what Conjuring. That? And now I can't freaking remember what it was, but Kristen Stewart is in it. Hold on. Let me look. Uh... Kristen Stewart. Yeah, I didn't realize that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I liked this movie. With legs on it? The messenger. She was in a scare. The messenger. Did you ever see that? Is that like with birds? Yes. Something with birds. I feel like I it's it's back in my brain somewhere. I remember the birds. I didn't realize it was Kristen Stewart. Me but either. I feel like the they're like somebody flapping the sheets or doing something with clothes. And then you see like split second, a person or legs or a body part. And it's like the most, such a good jump scare. Cause you're like, Oh my God. The, uh, <laughs> the conjuring, I think it's in the first, it might be the second one. Uh, Lorraine Warren was taking like sheets off of clothesline and like one of them blew off in the wind and got stuck on like a figure. That wasn't that would have been the first one because the second one was in um England. That's right. Yeah, that happened there. So um, yeah, that's that happened in that one, but I'm gonna send you the the little snippet of the messengers. It gets me every time. Oh, good. Don't watch it till the morning. It's 10 (laughs) 30. I'll send it tomorrow (laughs) because I don't really want to watch it. (laughs) Right. We want we record these at night, like. A majority of every single episode is recorded at night and I go to bed nine times out of 10 having to watch something on Disney plus same. And it's like, I, when I write these cases during the middle of the day, like it doesn't freak me out, but then as I'm oh, sitting it's here light out and you're like, Oh, I'm yeah. just typing stuff out. And then when I'm like sitting here, like I've gotten the goosies like 12 times reading this. Yes. Oh and gosh. I get so creeped out. Cause like obviously I said I'm in front of a window that goes into my backyard. It's dark out and I can see the reflection of everything behind me, which is why Mm -hmm. I have the window open because I can tell like if somebody's behind me in this room, but it doesn't work in instances where people are purposely trying to scare me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I will scream. I will punch. If you try to scare me, just FYI, (laughs) I will start a swing in. Well, that was a great episode, Haley. 
Thank you. Thank you for joining us, everybody. Don't forget to tune in on Halloween for a bonus episode. Yes, I'm so excited. Me too. And then also join us every Monday for new episodes, except for those Mondays that we suck and don't post. But you can find us on Instagram at Dark and Deadly Pod, TikTok at Dark and Deadly Pod, or you can send us a Gmail with case suggestions or a story you want featured on an episode at darkanddeadlypod at gmail.com. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks guys. Bye. Say bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>